And welcome back to Artistically As Nuru Cast Podcast, a podcast where I talk to neurodivergent people about the experience of us with neurodivergency and disability, over a wide range of conversations with multiple neurodivergent voices across the series. So far, we've been back for over like six months. Now, by now, we six months already done, and this is. So if you've been listening, this should be familiar territory to you what this podcast is. So with that being familiar, and if you're not familiar, please go back and check past episodes out. Or look up on the Project website more about the uh, podcast. Or follow the New Rainbow Project on New Rainbow UK on social media platforms. And so we're back to introducing today's episode is with Erin Tett. Erin Tett is a comedian and who's been recently, in recent years, been diagnosed autistic. So this is chat about her experience of being a comedian and how she found out she was autistic as well as talking about the experiences of the similarities with retreats, making her think that it could be possibly OCD. She does a mole out there, she she hasn't got OCD, she does all that out, but explores how some some of her traits can be quite hard to distinguish from at first, from somebody who's discovering out the neurodivergency, as of course, sometimes it does feel like minefield. This is quite a respectful, com- this is quite a good conversation I found, and insightful into into comedic career and given insight into different areas of comedy that could be made more inclusive and accessible for more from people from minority backgrounds and with that yes right uh so hello erin would you like to start by introducing yourself hi um i'm erin uh <laughs> i'm a i'm a comedian um i do stand up and make videos anything else <laughs> yeah all right so <laughs> as you know this is like a podcast where i discuss neurodivergent issues and neurodivergency and other disability issues as well as that so uh, the reason why you booked you on is because you're autistic and would like to chat the experience about being autistic in comedy and stand up and so like so like having this stuff by allowing you to tell me about your autism and how you got diagnosed and how you discovered you were autistic yeah so I a while a while ago when I still lived in London I went to my GP because I had lots of like OCD traits so a lot of repetitive like a lot of things I need to repeat in a lot of rituals so I was trying to get help for that because I've had that my whole life but I just kind of finally got to the point where I was like I'm going to try and do something about it. Um, so then I was on the waiting list for that for a bit. And then I moved to Manchester and I managed to get like a Zoom CBT thing yeah. um, in the pandemic. Um, and kind of like near the end of that, the guy who was doing it for me um, referred me 
to get an autism diagnosis. So then I got passed on to that. And then um, it was probably, I think it was like last year that um, I finally did all of that. You know, the interview and my yeah. parents did the interview and then um, got a phone call that said, um, uh, yeah, ASD, basically. Yeah, so I guess it, it's something that you kind of like to like to realise at first. Um, so it's something that if you hadn't gone through the process of speaking to your GP, thinking you have OCD and thinking you're treated like linked to OCD and then that therapist saying it sounds more autism than OCD. So I guess maybe like had less obvious traits of autism and I guess probably with a lack of representation of women and girls and the mm-hmm. misdiagnosis of autism, it's easier end up, you know, like blurring the lines between what could be like a mental health condition like OCD and autism. Yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't like flag it myself. I think in the last few years I was starting to think, oh, I, I don't know, I kept watching a few things and was like, oh, I do actually share quite a lot of those traits. So I was thinking about contacting somebody, but then it just kind of seemed to naturally happen. <laughs> yeah. So what, what were the traits you started noticing when you were thinking that, you know, like something is like something I would want to get checked out and or like what were the traits part of you know uh, OCD and what were the traits have you realised? Yes, maybe it is autism rather than OCD. Yeah, well, I'm not sure. I, it could, I could still have OCD, I guess. Yes. But the guy um, was not like he's not able to give away diagnoses. So yeah. it was more like he said anxiety that portrays itself with OCD traits, kind of thing. Um, yeah. But I think what kind of wrapped up with him was he kept he he then started asking me like kind of different questions about like of relationships and friendships and stuff like that and I think that's what's what did it because obviously I have the kind of the rituals and the repetition and I used to not be able to like get out the shower without doing a ritual and like all of this stuff to to be able to end things I had to do all of these like all this counting um but then he started asking me like uh how do you make friends and and all of this stuff and I was a bit more like well actually I've always struggled a bit with like making and maintaining friends then I think the question started to lean more towards that side then. Yeah. I like I think it's one of those things when you like like trying to like learn about your own brain and try to like think that there's something different and you like you want to get diagnosis of something. I think it, one thing about new, being neurodivergent and the whole neurodivergent thing, it does get quite agitated and hard to get now navigate for the space as you say that you could still potentially have OCD so it's difficult to try to find out to like know what's what with each condition and kind of like learn how to know your mind in that situation because you have so much to learn about all these Mm -hmm. different things. Yeah I think I still would like to have more help with management it kind of felt a bit like an autism diagnosis was like a get out of (laughs) jail card where you don't have to really help me anymore with stuff because I don't know It kind of went like, oh, it's autism. Should, like, let's change, swipe our hands of that. And now, and then now, it's like I don't know whether where the like management skills, which direction to go for them, kind yeah. of. Thing. 
Yeah, like, I guess what you mean, because, like, it's like a thing where, you know, after diagnosis, you, uh, experience, like, you have that thing off, right? Like, right, that's, you got autism, case closed, you know, like, no follow-up with, like, yeah. sport or, like, well, like, helping you understand more about being autistic and different, like, the small things in your day-to-day life that could help, you know, like, with, like, managing, like, the extra bit of stress and anxiety mm-hmm. around certain things. As I guess when you see, like, the organising and management thing of, like, I guess to, to manage, like, to navigate for day-to-day tasks without, I guess, getting a bit overwhelmed with it. Yeah, I would, I think I would have, like, appreciated that. And I think it because it's quite recent, I'm still picking up on things that, like, oh maybe that is actually linked with the like getting a bit overwhelmed like some sometimes if I'm in situations where it's like supposed to be serene like I've been in a hot tub and you know they're really like loud and bubbly and then everybody's like chatting and then it's supposed to be like serene and calming but it's quite overwhelming (laughs) and then I'm like oh maybe this is actually a bit linked to that but I would have liked somebody to tell me how I can deal with that then (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, like, I tend to sometimes ask, you know, like, you know, like, uh, guests, you know, what was, like, the experience of when you, like, was younger and neurodivergent, of course, you know, when you were younger and, you know, quite late diagnosed. So what was that, like, experience being undiagnosed autistic as, like, when you was, like, a child and teenager going through school and then, you know, going into adult life? Yeah. Um, it's a bit, it's a bit hard to know because it would have been probably a really different experience if I did know. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really enjoy school, so I feel like that's probably a pretty common <laughs> experience of, like... I did everybody seemed to kind of be getting together in on this same love same wavelength that I yeah. just was not involved with um but I think from the outside you wouldn't I think it's a strange thing of like from the outside you might not have been able to tell yeah um but for me I definitely was struggling yeah and yeah. I think yeah yeah, I guess the other thing of like you end up masking quite a lot of it, and I guess that's why it wasn't picked up when he was in school, and just like kind of like struggle struggling quite quietly with things. Yeah, yeah, it's, I think so. Like I I got by, and it looked like I was part of a at least sitting with people or part of a group, but but it was more like I just was sat there observing them than being part of it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that can be quite a common thing with autistic people, as you know, like, it's quite, like, thing is, when you're young, and, like, and I guess when you were, like, getting asked about, like, those offensive things when it came to, like, diagnosis, and then, I guess it was, like, well, like, in your diagnosis pro- process, it was asked to reflect a lot on your younger mm. life, and so, I guess, you notice certain things of, as you said, how you like more observant rather than like joining in on things and like it can be quite hard to navigate those social settings because there's a lot like for all the noise and environment around you like there's a lot of things you would end up trying to have to learn about like the social situations and it can be quite exhausting to know what what's going on in the people's lives around you and how to deal with that and you know that's definitely like hard navigation for the emotion I guess yeah I think it it's I think a lot of things again it's like it could be oh she's shy or she's just 
she's just a bit different or she doesn't get on with these people. I think I think I thought at school like, oh, it's just these people I don't get on with because obviously you're like with the same people every day. Yeah. Like, oh, well, once I leave, I'll, I'll find people I get on yeah. with. And, and I was like, like, oh no, it's the same. <laughs> it's the yeah. same everywhere you go, actually. Because like I think for some people who like you know like us like school aides and or and like no autistic but still uh, quite quite still independent and you know mm. uh, you know will still you know go to places on their own and find themselves. I guess when I guess probably then when you would try to go to university if you did go yeah. to university then I guess that is hope that you probably hope then when you get to adulthood you can find a bit more people like yourself or who have similar interests and how did you find that then when you was you know got out of school yeah so I I was looking for that definitely and then I think I think the same I think a similar thing just happened I think I think I have especially when I was younger I had more of like an outward appearance of someone who is somebody who does fit in so then I would get like adopted into groups and then it just was like a mismatch and didn't really work. So it took me a while. I've definitely, in my adult life, since since school and since uni, um, I actually find it much easier to make friends now than I did when I was younger. Yeah, I've, I can understand that definitely because I guess, like, thing is, from when you're, like, younger, you kind of look, you know, learn a lot about yourself and how to, like, I guess, find, you know, like, the right people for you. And, again, and when you're younger, you know, it's quite difficult because, you know, like, when you're in school, you just, like, jump, you know, like, jumbled in with, like, loads of different people. And and it's, like, a lot of people, you, you know, you don't know, know a lot of, like, I guess, things about making friends and, you know, not having the same interests and, like, not able to talk about each other's emotions or like certain things about how to like connect on the level of being a friend or sometimes it's easier or an autistic person to do it. Mm. I think also growing up like I've learned how to communicate better I think so I think maybe I was quite difficult to read and then I wasn't able to explain where I was coming from yeah I think I think actually I think fun like ironically I think autism kind of can make you really good at communicating because you are kind of forced to yeah so it kind of ends up I think you maybe you start off like being everybody reads you wrong and you can never really get across what you're trying to say and then I don't know then because you're like forced to really find the words and make sure that you're getting your point across. I get, I get off for sure because it's like, I think like the common experience of autistic people is we kind of end up analyse and kind of end up thinking a lot about the social situations we find ourselves in and, you know, trying to like often like process like of like social interactions and events, you know, a lot longer after than, you know, like any typical person and thinking about consequences, how people interpret these things. So I guess in those situations then, for uh, like how we went to be able to learn a language and what's going for other people's minds in that situation, and I end up putting the work into actually learn our language of like whatever people are trying to, 
what other people are thinking and how to make sense of things. So I think there is something there that from that, you know, we can uh, end up being, you know, better at like learn better communication skills. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think it, it's just like the extra work that goes yeah. in. It. Yeah, <laughs> then you kind of just, and then I think become more, even a bit more intuitive as well, because you're like, like you said, like I'm constantly going over every aspect of a yeah. like a conversation or a moment to the point where now, and I and I also think it's because you know, like going back to being at school where you, well, I was more of like an observer. So then you're seeing things yeah. instead of like joining in with them. Yeah, I get that. And I guess from like what we said, you know, like about, uh, you know, like uh, I say, I'm trying to fit in with the crowd and, you know, uh, kind of like, I guess feeds into the background of social situations. I guess when probably like not many people would have thought that, you know, in school, that like if ever it would be like your peers and teachers or whatever, that, that you would have gone to Korean stand up comedy. So, how did you start and uh, how did you find your, yourself in the area of stand up comedy and doing comedy? Um, my mum actually found a, like a newspaper article of like a comedy uh, writing and performance course in Southampton. So I actually went to uni and did like comedy then. And then from there just kind of have continued. And now I've kind of, I'm definitely like fully kind of in it, doing it now. I think also it's difficult. I think this has also probably been a difficult part about doing stand-up and being autistic as well as that. It is a lot of like social navigation and networking which I think why it's taken me so long to get to the point that I'm at because I thought it was just like doing comedy but that's that's just one aspect of it there's there's so much more yeah social game of it so when you like like did you say you yourself or did you say like your mother found an art and saw that in the uh, newspaper yeah so it was yourself or was it what's that sorry oh you know the ad in the newspaper yeah. that said about a stand-up course was it yourself noticing that uh my mum found oh, it oh uh, so you when your mother looked at that so what why what was the thing that's thought right that would be a great course for Evan to yeah. try to do at university well i i at first i wanted to go to uni and do acting but i've always i, I think i've always been like the funny one in my family so i was i was the young i'm the youngest so i always got away with being quite cheeky <laughs> and yeah. yeah so it was all so it's like, again, it's the people who were close to me who knew me well and that I yeah. was really into comedy and making people laugh and performing. So, yeah, that's why my mum found it for me. Oh, that's quite good because I guess when you like had was with like your close family and, you know, close people, you were, I guess, a lot from like when you were in school, like, you know, quite say and be more anxious you were able to like find a, like your space to express yourself and and mask a bit and find the confidence then and like you know trying to find your like funny element and funny like humor side and there is something 
pretty good that you found that and I guess then comedy then what became like like focus interest and just where you're finding yourself then. Yeah, yeah. I think it's definitely again it's it's a way it's a way to communicate and it's a way to kind of do social interactions more on my terms and when I go on stage, I kind of I invite you into my world. Yeah. So as there's a, just a, there's just a bit more control there. Yeah. And I, get, I get to show people what it's like to be in my head instead of <laughs> like figuring out their own social yeah. ideas. I suppose, like to me, like stand up comedy seems like something incredibly difficult and hard thing to you know where of the confidence to do all like you know, to be able, you know, like, to pull off in, in a way, because, it, you know, like, anyone could, could think that they could perform as, you know, a stand-up, uh, so on, then, you know, like, you, you end up having a cold sweat, and then, you know, like, end up, you know, uh, not having a great time on stage. Mm-hmm. So, as I say, it does take a lot to do that. So, what was it finding that was, do you think, I guess, if, um, when you found yourself able to, uh, you know, unmask and, you know, allow people into your world rather than you trying to, you know, put yourself in their world, was able to, uh, I guess, enjoy yourself and find a bit more confidence on stage and find your stage presence. Yeah, yeah. I think, and also, I think now it's just about, because obviously there's some, there's just always going to be some audiences that don't accept me. So it's just like really finding the ones that do and trying to make, trying to, you know, find myself on stage in front of people who are re- like really open-minded and want to come into the world. Yeah. And I think it's one thing with like stand, like I've seen a lot of people with like stand-up comics and stand-up acts, you know, like there is a lot more uh, Comedians can diagnose with neurodivergent conditions if it's ADHD and like a minority of autistic people and other neurodivergent conditions. So I think there's definitely that element of like the spaces growing for people to, you know, uh, be the, themselves and, you know, I guess neurodivergent people being accepted on stage. But do you find that? doing that uh, stand-up course allowed you to, I guess, you find your own style and kind of, like, work on, like, some of the techniques and skills around performing stand-up comedy and, you know, presenting yourself on stage? Yeah, well, it was kind of more of, like, a like a uni course, so I got, like, yeah. a BA at the end of it, but there was, like, stand-up elements of it. So that I think that was a good place to start because it's not it was you had less exposure to like the real world so okay. there there was more you could kind of more privately find your own voice so that I, when I actually went into the real world I, I had a bit more of an idea of what I was doing yeah yeah better that and finding yourself chucked into the deep end yeah yeah and so from that how, how have you found yes like what other things have you been like able to focus on you know like in your comedy and you know like sets and you know doing your you know when you're doing stand-up or the things you found yourself talking about and you know like what stories and anecdotes have you found yourself uh tell into you know when you stand up uh, so um I don't really do uh stories or 
anecdotes. Uh, I do, it's more like kind of uh, like absurdist observations and wordplay. So I do like short jokes um, and they're, they're, it's it's kind of is like observational comedy, but more from a subverted angle. Uh, so like, tell me about that like type of style. Tell me a bit more about that style and what type of way that is, I guess. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I always find it difficult to explain what basically I like I um I I don't really like the rhythm of comedy I find it too predictable um so the the kind of the way that a lot of people speak in doing comedy doesn't I doesn't really sit with me very well because I just it like it's so predictable it just goes over my head so it's important for me to have my own rhythm and my own way of speaking and my own way of hiding the jokes and like the rhythm of where everything's going. Um, and then I think basically what I want to do with my jokes is I think there's there's this, ob- I think observational comedy is like when people say something and the audience goes, oh yeah, I know that, I'm just like that. But what I want to do is I say something and the audience goes, oh my God, I've never thought about that before. Now I'm going to think about it all the time. If that makes sense. Yeah, I get you from that because uh, you know I get with uh, observational comedy. Uh, I'd say it's it's probably one of those uh, things that's commonly done in the industry, and you know, like you can see plen- plenty of observational comics, and they've like this common set of themes and mm. you know, like trends. Trends that you might notice if you go to see a uh, stand-up comics or uh, observational like that, and uh, it's like I guess you found your way of being original with that, and you know if if you found your own rhythm, rhythm and flow of you know like t- telling, presenting a jokes that does help to bring a bit of shock and surprise to the audience and you know guess keep keep them uh, like in a bit more suspense and you know let with less expectation yeah yeah i like to work with silence a lot as well so a lot of like tension making and and bringing you know like bringing it down and then i like i really enjoy working with the atmosphere um yeah. instead of just rattling off yeah, I think I think it's like that that kind of thing about like if sometimes I guess all like if artistic people are to do comedy and to new type and people that sometimes there can be that thing of like finding a way of thinking outside the box and finding something original to to do with it that you might not expect or like find from mm-hmm. like many of the other acts on like a comedy lineup or like in a like festival like Empton Buffins. Like I like you might find that with like a comedian like Hannah Gadsby or like in a try try to rewrite the rules of comedy you know? and that's quite an interesting way of like trying to I guess rethink that and like how not like trying to make a laugh a minute. Yeah, I think I think it is I I I think the I think the silence has helped the the laughs. So it's it's more of like a it it builds the tension and also I think people some people are you know neurotypical people maybe are a bit more uncomfortable with 
silences than <laughs> I am because um, it, it's like they feel like something needs to be there. But I think it's, I don't know, for me, it's important for people to know that it's okay to feel uncomfortable and you'll, you'll survive it. And actually you can yeah. find a lot of joy in it. Um, so just like join it and, and see see how it goes. Yeah. And yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. And, you know, doing, doing it like that. And like, so what, how have you found it? Like, like self, like, like developing throughout like your career and like how have you found yourself kind of like, as you're saying on uh, like doing a comedy course, uh, it has helped you like find your, your own uh, way of doing comedy before that. But like in terms of like performing gigs, how like from like going around the circuit and uh, you know doing different stand up gigs, you know, from like like the lifestyle of being a stand up comic, how has that uh, developed and like, have you had any, like, w- like great experiences that you could learn, that you learned from, or, you know, like, have, have you had any, uh, like, negative experiences and things that maybe, like, certain, like, uh, venues or, like, uh, like areas in stand-up that still need to be improved on, like, neurodivergent autistic people in, in this space? Mm. Well, I think um, there's a lot of places I've had not very good experiences at. <laughs> Um, Because I think they just, they kind of do a one style and then they, I think a few places know that they should be putting women on the bill. So they put them on, but they don't make the space like um, a place where they can thrive. Yeah. If that makes sense. So they do it because they need it and they want to look good. But when it comes down to it, we do get a bit just thrown to the wolves. Um, so I think that's definitely something that needs to be looked at is just it's good to have neurodivergent people and, you know, women and people of colour on bills. But you need to make the space somewhere where they can actually do their best um, instead of just keeping the space the same and then throwing them into it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to see some... I'd I'd like to see some changes with that of just having more open-minded... Or just gearing up the audience to be more open-minded and go along with what's happening. Uh, So, like, like, artworks, specific things that we... Like, would you like to see to make sure the audience have been more open-minded or... Like for more women, disabled, non-binary to people of colour, yeah. people from minority backgrounds are included in the space. So what what would make you feel a bit more included and feel that things are more easier? Like if you're from a different back minority background, to feel a bit more safe and comfortable doing comedy in such environments. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not completely sure because I know that's that a lot of audiences come with a very set idea of what they what they want and what they're yeah. going to. So it might come down. I think it comes down to the promoters of promoting it, like with the ideas that saying, you know, I'll oh, be there's so many different styles, so many different people. Be excited, be open minded to this. Not just it's going to be funny. And then maybe yeah. some some of it lies on the MC of prepping the audience to see something different and to be ready for it. Um, it's I think it's it's difficult because it's it's like a cultural shift, right? So yeah. it's like people from towns where they have like a very set idea of what comedy is, what they like, 
what they deem as good and it's just trying to get them a bit more involved in some change yeah i'll say that you know like it's the also you know like again today is it a thing to ask you and you know like to thing just to generally think of the ideas for us because it's like a thing that wouldn't change overnight and you know like yeah but something that just take like like for like years into like to make that change happen as like even if like you, you might be performing in like a bigger like city like if that be like London, Birmingham, Manchester. But if like you like some, maybe like performing in a smaller town, mm. like where you know, like where you might not have a, much of a diverse audience and you know, like it might be a not as like a diverse area, then you know, like that there might be like some, you know, like people might not be as open minded or tolerant to experience new thing in comedy. And I guess it's just like making sure like it's built as like an inclusive night for, you know, people minority backgrounds and I guess like finding different ways of getting you know like uh you know like maybe even finding women non you know making women non-binary to people of colour disabled people to come on to these events and you know like watch comedy and make it a bit more accessible as an audience member yeah yeah definitely I think you can definitely feel the difference when you're like in a city and kind of more outskirts um, there definitely is, a like, you feel the difference and you can see it in the audience and it's just a different atmosphere. Um, so, yeah, I guess it is just getting more of the community out to these events as well yeah. because they're, they're probably there. They're just obviously not being yeah. targeted with the promotion and stuff. So, so encouraging more a more diverse group of people to come watch the shows as well. Just, yeah. It just adds, I think. It just makes... It, it makes having a really diverse audience just makes comedy so much better because people are less likely to form a, a group together. So yeah. people are more likely to be individuals and to sh express how they feel and to, they can like it or not like it. That That's fine. I don't mind if people like it or not like it. You're absolutely free to, to, to receive this in whatever way you want to. It's just when there becomes like a mob mentality within the audience. Yeah. It's not enjoyable because it's like, oh, you're just, you're not laughing because you don't want the the audience to think that you, you're wrong. Yeah. Um, but when you have diversity and people don't know each other and there's just, you're just so much more likely to get pockets of people who love it and then pockets who hate it. And to me, that, that that's what makes live comedy super interesting. Yeah, it does make it more interesting. Now, the thing is, it's like with the mob mentality, and like any, like, like I guess the more like that can add to like a bit more of a hostile environment for like a comedian who might not want to go to certain like venues or gigs just on that basis, or like same with uh, certain like audience members of different backgrounds. Because it's like being in this welcome and it doesn't help with like a feeling quite culturally polarised at, at the minute, you know, with certain things and mm. like, I guess, like certain discussions about speech and, you know, like, like, you know, like hate speech and such. So, and as just like, it's like a thing with comedy, it just needs to be like taken seriously and the arts to be taken seriously, especially as it does help society a lot. Yeah, I think that's also a problem is that comedy is not 
seen as much of an art as other art forms um so then it just doesn't get the attention and the the help that it needs or the funding it needs to make it better and more inclusive yeah, yeah. and it's like how it's like how you like say it's like not like certain themes or topics you dress in comedy but I guess having a space to like perform uh, as like a disabled uh, neurodivergent woman, it does help like like people who are neurodivergent and disabled to have careers and have like a space where they can talk and uh, like like address and bring awareness to like certain issues that affect them and kind of like challenge stereotypes and misconceptions around it. Because I think probably like important thing is like in fact having a diverse lineup is like challenging the uh, like stereotypes of maybe like artists you know like how people see autistic people as not being f- funny people to like you know like if you got different dis- disabled or you know and they were divergent people mm. of color then there's lot of stereotypes they can challenge for the comedy yeah and i think that's why it's also important to have like not just one autistic comedian on the lineup but having more because then if you just have one and you go oh that's what all <laughs> autistic comedians are like but as soon as you have like oh there's three women on this lineup and they all have completely different styles and they're all doing completely different things yeah people start to understand that there's not just <laughs> yeah, there's not just one stereotype that actually everybody's doing yeah. completely different stuff so it's not really enough to just put one yeah. person on the bill i don't think yeah, and it's like it's that thing of like m- the importance of making sure like that you know like people get over when to try out comedy and get into the industry like have access to like open mic nights mic nights yeah and you know can easily come into a like a comedy night and wherever the, wherever the local places and like have a chance and be welcome to try it out. Mm. Yeah, I think that probably is where a lot of it's quite difficult, right? Is that the open mic nights and stuff? I don't know. For 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 from a point of view of being like autistic, if you want to get far from those things, you have to have you have to be really social and you have to talk yeah. to everybody and you have to know the right things to say. And so then I think that's where it gets difficult and some people can never get to the next level. Or if you're disabled in a different way and, you know, the venues, you can't really access the venues. It's like you're, you're already at a disadvantage in the first yeah. stage of getting into comedy. That okay. it just because it's it's just so much more work and it's so much more difficult to progress. Yeah, because it's like that, you know, it's open mic nights to be accessible and inclusive to anyone of any background and you know like and that's important should be important because it just helps makes things fairer and more universal and so like we've been talking about like stand-up comedy and you said that when you went to like when you was getting started in university and when the things you went to do from after you finished like college or school you went to try to do uh, acting and I guess probably like you were definitely more creative than that academic so have you been able to do uh, any acting off that and 
like have you any interest in pursuing some more acting opportunities yeah so I'm so I'm definitely starting to get more into acting again now I think comedy kind of like takes over your life a little bit and then you think that's the one direction and then um I've kind of settled back into oh actually I do actually want to get back into more acting so I I've done a few like commercials not that that counts very much as acting <laughs> um but yeah still building my show real I was in a music video the other day so that'll come out soon it's just picking up as many projects as possible yeah basically. yeah yeah again and the sound of like like if you're doing stand-up comedy on China like get big for one game into the industry that does take a lot of years and it does take a lot of your time and effort and with like you said even though like commercials not really like the, the best of acting yeah it's one way, it's one way to pay the bills anyway I guess you know, yeah and yeah and, exactly and it's one thing that you can add on to your like CV or like you know like your uh, acting CV as a start that you 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 didn't like certain like projects like that and I guess it's when you horn into actually so when you're able to do try things and do try to do stuff and then you know a quick idea like gone music video coming out of somebody and then I guess you're open to see how that flourishes and you know uh, goes on throughout as on the side of your comedy career then yeah I think the good thing about being a comedian and wanting to do acting is that you can write all your own stuff so it's like you don't have to wait for other people to have projects to that you can be in so mm-hmm. I write sketches and stuff that I can that I can put myself in and film um so I think that that kind of helps then also you know that you like the part and everything <laughs> you know that yeah. you, you like the vision um, yeah. yeah, so that's yeah. a good part of it. Yeah, so like you know, in terms of, like writing like scripts and stuff like that, I guess I said that uh, probably like from a young age that you were more interested in like the performing arts as to like being academic in school and college. So like, would you say that you know from like that you know like call like and like compete to like uh college and university was it like something that you started to think about? like starting doing uh, creative writing and script writing and like found your interest viewing into more of that creative space then what what was the question sorry oh like you know when you were in like like younger that you know when you was like at the starting point about thinking about your career and you know when you like yeah. younger did you start to find yourself like like doing creative writing as like a part more of like a pastime thing and that helped you to get into start focusing on like stuff like this now into your career yeah I think I was always into like performing and writing stuff I've like found my mum is like cleaning out the attic so I've found like lots of stuff that I wrote which probably wasn't very good when I was younger but I was yeah always like writing stuff or wanted to perform in things um I was quite good at like academic stuff but I just wasn't interesting to me um and I think I'm not sure is that like an autistic trait is when you just kind of once you're interested in something that's just what you and everything else just fades away kind of even even if you can do it and you're good at it it just was like never something I wanted to 
I think that definitely is for those artistic traits, you know, like being able to hyper focus and, you know, like, no, like, what you're not interested in and, you know, like, what you went to pursue, you know, because, you know, like, you end up having your focused interest that you can have, like, that tunnel vision and, you know, like, no, only, like, like, I guess, fade out and you blow everything else in yeah. the background and, yeah. Yeah, I think it just is like, oh, I could do that, but I don't want to, so yeah. <laughs> it just disappears now, I guess. Yeah, and I guess that's something that you, I guess that uh, helped you like just end up focusing on that one thing and like getting it right so you know like from you know like like uh from your like creative writing stuff and you know like what stuff you meant to work on and produce hopefully one day to produce yourself what the types of projects that you would like to see yourself like to win and writing and creating and yeah so I'm I'm like writing a script at the moment that would be really cool if it was ever made <laughs> Uh, it's yeah. a it's a bit like it's a bit like inside out but the kind of going into adulthood version yeah. of so the the personifying kind of your conscious and your subconscious and the moment that they kind of meet each other um, is what it's about. So that's one of my projects. I kind of always have a million projects going on at the same time because yeah. I like I have all these ideas and then I just um, want to do everything. But that's yeah. yeah one of the scripts at the moment. Yeah, I think that's one of those things is like you like your brain can end up being quite busy and you know like thinking yeah. of so many different things and I I think one of those things is you can have like so many ideas but like the struggle then is like no one out to like put that all into practice because you know like no to like literally all down and you know get plans sorted and like from then you know when you started talking about you know like when you got your diagnosis I guess there was one of those like things out with like executive functioning and all that and gets it was more of like time management and organization I guess you, that you feel that you need that bit of a supportive yeah I wish I had I just wish I had some help with I get overwhelmed like a lot <laughs> but just yeah. just by my own brain so like and then I become paralyzed and it's just not very uh time effective because yeah. it just means I'm just it's too much and then I can't handle it yeah. and I wish I had a way to just switch that off and then I could actually do what I wanted yeah. to do because, like, like, I found I, even, like, somebody who was, like, you know, like, uh, like, diagnosed, like, at age 10, it's, like, something that, like, when you're, like, get, even, like, if you're diagnosed young as a child, it's, like, when those things, like, you don't have, still don't have much support when you get to adulthood, often, like, no one how to, like, you know, organise yourself and, you know, like, as I said, you, like, get overwhelmed and that's the difficult thing is when you, like, trying to, like, do things you need to do as an adult and, know like manage different tasks and what you gotta do in, in your life and as you said yeah you're gonna get like that even task paralysis and then you're like gonna bring like gets over overloaded and then freezes up for a while yeah yeah it is it's just it's an overload yeah <laughs> and then even when i'm doing like loads of stuff i feel like i need loads of recovery time as well yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then i feel like i'm wasting time and then that frustrates me and then it's feeling frustrated <laughs> 
And I think that, like, that kind of, like, it's an interesting thing that I found from, like, the idea of, like, doing, like, that, like, subconscious and conscious thing. I guess it kind of allows you to explore, like, your, would explore your more sense through that, that bit of creative writing and, like, that, like, being able to process that and, you know, like, how your emotions work. And yeah. because that does sound like a quite interesting script idea and idea for, you know, that type of uh, writing project. Yeah, I think it's just I wanted to pinpoint that time, you know, that time when you start to know yourself and kind of become yourself. Yeah, because uh, I think through school, through school, and then even through uni, it's like you're just figuring things out. You, you're just kind of existing, and what do you like? You don't really know what you like. You don't know who you like. You don't know yeah. what you want to go to and what you want to do. And then um, I, there is kind of like eye-opening moments after maybe in your twenties where it's like you become yourself, and you start, and then you get a taste of it, and then it goes, and then. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what life is quite difficult, actually, to weirdly takes a lot of time to become yourself. <laughs> yeah, because in a way, it's like, it, like, it, I mean, it's like every, like, certain, like, of a decade or, like, every, like, like, certain, so many different points in your life, you end up finding yourself again, you know, and again after yeah. that. Because as you say, like, when you're in your 20s, then, you know, like, or starting out, like, between, like, the age of, like, a, like 18 to 1920 and all that you know like you're finding yourself in like like what you want to do for the like you know like a university ways or you know like starting relationships or whatever like that yeah. you know, like you've got like so many things as you jumped into the deep end of being an adult that's super stressful and that yeah. like in a stress and anxiety it's not always talked a lot of often and stuff and represented and especially like do you uh like go like a you would take virgin to condition or like as you say you're trying to like you figuring your own mind out to that point and like maybe you have like OCD and finding out or you're autistic and then you know like you get a point of like you know as people say the midlife crisis and all that so yeah. I think there's def- definitely different generational points to that and I think as uh, as adults I think often not you know we like get that thing of like you know it's okay to talk and you know, like get that message about like we should you know talk about feelings but not often not we not talk don't talk about navigating the feelings and how how that can be a challenge even though you know we you know we get taught about feelings from like a young age and school and whatever yeah I think also it's like we don't talk about how it's okay to change your mind yeah <laughs> You're allowed to have thought something when you were 18 and then not think it now. And people are supposed to like evolve and grow. But I think like a lot of people want everybody to, to stay the same because then they understand who they are. And then yeah. when they start changing, it's like, oh, it's too much. They've changed. But I think we need to <laughs> we need to accept that it's OK for your opinions to change and your outlooks and your views to change yeah, and that so. other people to accept it. Yeah, because it's like the, the world keeps on changing and yeah. you know, we, got, we can all go learn with that. And, you know, you're not going to like know everything that you need to know in life by the age of like 20 and like you like f- still think the same at the age of 90 or whatever so that, yeah. and I think it's like 
like as you say with that you need to keep like a speech for having an open mind you know like and kind of being able to have that speech for like they wants and patience with people to learn and you know like not expecting everything to know everything and yeah I think sometimes we have like you know neurodivergent or neurotypical autistic or not it's like in both in all those communities there's definitely that feeling you know yeah yeah where we know that things are we're yeah. not always gonna yeah I think I think it is sister maybe it is like a neurotypical thing of like I think a lot of people find they don't want to budge how how they feel or what what they're like because that's what feels comfortable to them so maybe it comes again I feel like we maybe we go through our lives feeling always a little bit uncomfortable so (laughs) being uncomfortable with stuff is not not like a big deal really in yeah. the same way <laughs> yeah exactly and uh so and what you know like we talked a lot about from you know your experience with like you know like school to uh you know co- doing Korean comedy and so and like you're creative and so like on on like what projects and what things like do you find yourself now and is there anything like right now that you want to like promote and you know like say something about you doing it at the minute on the podcast yeah yeah, um, I I'm doing this. <laughs> um, it's called the Global Megacorp Institute of Manchester, and we're doing an event in Manchester at Cultplex, which used to be Grub on the 25th of May um, and I'd love if people could come to that that would be really good I know sounds good and so <laughs> like what type, type of things can you expect from that event is it like um, it's, it's like an immersive business wellness event it's a bit it's a bit <laughs> it's a bit silly but come check us out on our on our Instagram um, you'll get a bit more of an idea I don't oh, want to give too much <laughs> <laughs> and so like uh, I like sometimes ask for well like the like the things that people should be like aware of or like take away from this that you know, like you were to like learn something from this chat or take take some sort of information away and you know what do you want people to know from this oh um oh that's that's a that's a difficult one I yeah, guess like I guess with if you're like getting into comedy and I know that there is a lot of like frustrations around trying to get into it and knowing that you can't socialize in the same way I think you just got to be relentless I think and just keep doing it and not everybody's going to be able to read you properly and not everybody's going to be able to understand your point of view but some people will and that's what's gonna that's what's gonna take you I think that's what's gonna make it all work and you know like from from like one thing of like your experience from autism and being able to do it and that you find that you know like people don't understand or you wish people were to understand what do you what were, like is there anything that springs to mind of what one thing like that you would wish people were to know um I guess I guess uh for some people I guess I just want them to know that I am <laughs> I do I'm not I think I used to always get she's shy and that a shy and quiet and that used to really frustrate me um, just want people to know that I'm not shy and quiet. I'm just not interested about what you're talking about. <laughs> so I'm not contributing. It's not me. It's you. <laughs> yeah, I think that's you know the blunt and really way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
And like, I always like to like to, to like ask this tough question. And like, Rosie, what one thing in the world would you like to see like improved for the better for neurodivergent and autistic people? Um, I think it just goes back to what we were say- saying about kind of diversity. I think there's like, I don't know, whenever you see like an autistic character or autism portrayed, it's always portrayed, I feel, in a very similar way. And it's like, it's a spectrum, and yet we only have one point on the spectrum being yeah. portrayed in films and TV. And there's there's so many more people and everybody's so different and we're all doing different things. <laughs> so yeah. it just would be just having more variety. I think everything always needs more variety. Yeah, because it's like, like if you want to learn, like understand more about artistic people, like, you know, like read, like pick up like different many, like either books or like if you find any like certain media that's, you know, written or like, you know, like talked about by artistic people, you know, whether it's books, as they say, TV shows, stuff like that, you know, like, you know, give a variety of information and like diff- plenty of different people's stories or accounts have been artistic and make so broad knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and tend to say, is there anywhere like you want people to follow you on social media? Is there any like place where you can find people online? Where you, they can find you? Yeah, so at Erin Tech Comedy, so that's E-R-Y-N-T-E-T-T comedy. Yeah, all social media platforms. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And is there anything else you want to say that you haven't said already? Because, like, think... Like, <laughs> um, I don't think so. Just um, thanks for having me. Um, yeah. I don't get to talk about autism very often, so <laughs> I think it's nice to talk about it. I'm still... It's still new, so I'm still figuring everything out and trying to link it all together and maybe one day I'll find out a bit more about it and also develop the skills and the areas I need to actually deal with stuff yeah if you ever want to uh, talk more about it and you know like if you had a bit more to say on the topic of being autistic and all that you know like feel free to like ask to come back on again and would happy to have you again on the podcast <laughs> development <laughs> so yeah. more yeah <laughs> I'd like to thank Evan Ted again for coming back on for coming on the podcast and I hope you enjoyed the conversation we had. And if you want to find Evan Ted on social media as you listed her social media account, it's simply Evan Ted. And Evan Ted is spelled E R Y N T E T T. Just simply like like that. And you as I said it's across all social media platforms. And earlier on in the podcast, I said where you can find us at New Rainbow Project or New Rainbow UK, that's one specifically for Twitter. And you can also find uh, more on this podcast at www.newrainbowproject.com and that link you to finding videos more about the guests specific blogs that are available for feed for the uh, related to the podcast feed and beyond the podcast like you'll be able to see the pod breaking and subscribe to the podcast on our website and as i said where you can get watch uh, the videos of the interviews as well on that website that is again www.newrainbowproject.com dot com.
Next week we'll be having Variety D on the podcast and more guests sorting out appearance uh, for the podcast in coming weeks and days or whatever. So keep out on social media and the website for that. And as I said, with the website, I'll have a page on where you can find out more about Evan Tett and other past guests on the podcast. So thanks again for listening. This has been a podcast hosted by me, Autistically Aaron, for the New Rainbow Project. Autistically Aaron's New Cast is the podcast you've just been listening to, and it's an hour of audio production. Until next time, have a good time.